Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm sorry I've been away from my desk for much longer than I would have liked. To defeat this virus, we need a vaccine, better treatment methods, and large-scale testing. How is it possible for us to be stronger after this crisis? Hi, and welcome to the latest of our special extra editions of EU Confidential, focusing on Europe's response to the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Andrew Gray, Politico's EU editor. Hope you're all doing okay wherever you're listening. Later in the podcast, you'll hear from someone directly involved in crafting the EU's plans to revive the economy after the huge damage caused as a result of the coronavirus. That's Elisa Ferreira, the European Commissioner for Cohesion and Reforms. But first, let's check in with one of our healthcare reporters, Carmen Pown. So uh, today we're talking about uh, two topics, I would say, that are probably pretty close to your heart because we're talking about uh, workers from your home country of Romania and from from other places who are at the moment uh, used as seasonal workers or have been for many years used as seasonal workers in more in Western Europe and how they're affected uh, by the coronavirus, by the pandemic. So what did you find when you, you looked into this in terms of What's being done? Are they still able to travel? And what kind of measures are being taken, um, you know, to protect their health? They are still able to travel. And they're the few ones among many Europeans, I would say, that are still able to travel. Initially, they weren't. But then uh, farmers in Germany, the UK and other countries, um, mainly in the west of Europe, figured out that they're not going to have enough workforce even if they draw in people that have lost their jobs, or even if they have enough people, they're not skilled enough, they're not fast enough to be able to really pick all the fruits and vegetables in time um, for them to make it um, safely to the market. So they, in many cases, they put pressure on their governments to find a way to allow seasonal workers that they have had in previous years um, to be able to come. And this has happened indeed. Uh, And they are now charter flights, uh, probably at least every other day from Romania, Bulgaria, and other Eastern European countries to take people to farms in Germany, the UK, and I've seen Italy and probably Spain too. And, you know, their their conditions have typically been quite tough. They work a lot. Um, the job is pretty taxing physically. Um, I was talking for, for the story, I was talking to one younger who was telling me that, you know, when you pick asparagus, for example, you have to spend your time on all fours to be able to pick it fast. And, and that could be for uh, an hour, uh, 
a workday that is longer than 12 hours with a few breaks. And the pandemic has only made things worse because now um, some of the experts we were talking to were saying that they're even more open to exploitation because, for example, in the case of Germany, the moment they arrive, they're taken to the farm and they have to stay in a sort of quarantine for 14 days. So they're allowed to work, but they are only within the group that they came with and they're not allowed to go outside of the farm um, for those 14 days and also mix with other people. And then also, if they do not like the conditions and want to leave, they have no flights to go back home because the flights that they came with were chartered by their employers. Um, So while in a way they're very needed and they should probably be shown appreciation by proper working conditions and proper pay too, it looks like actually the situation is exposing them to potentially even more um, exploitative conditions. And what are the the health measures that are being taken, uh, both in terms of how they travel and then once they're they're on site uh, doing this work to try and protect their health? Normally there should be social distancing. So for example, in the flight, they should uh, be staying at least one aisle away from each other. Uh, There shouldn't be probably anyone in the middle seat as far as we understand. Um, The problem is in the buses getting to the airport. uh, When this started uh, in Romania, I think um, the first flights took off around April 9th. There were thousands of people brought in in buses and and sat one next to the other and then just left in front of the airport. So there was a crowd of about 2,000 people that were not respecting any social distancing measures. That has gotten better in the meantime. Um, and they're also it's also unclear how these measures are respected in the buses that take them from the airport to the farms. Um, once they get there, normally they, they would be put in rooms with more people. That's still going to be the case. But, um, for example, the German government asked that they are put in rooms at half capacity. So, for example, if it was a room for for 10 people, you'd have five people put in the same room. So there's a bit of distance. If they go to work and they cannot be away from each other on the field or in the places where they pick fruits and vegetables, they are supposed to be given um, protective equipment. Um, The problem is also that you do lump people together in the same group. So you do expose people from that group to each other. And if one of them is sick, then others might get sick. So it's not, you know, it's not um, foolproof. And what are we hearing kind of anecdotally about whether all these kind of rules and uh, regulations are being respected so far? The Romanian media has been um, has been reporting quite a lot lately. And for example, there were people saying that um, they had to wear the same mask for five days. Um, that obviously gets full of dust very fast, but they're not provided with a new one every day. There has been a case of a man who died in Germany uh, while picking asparagus. And now the Romanian media is reporting that he did say that he couldn't he couldn't breathe and he was isolated in his room and he was found dead um, the next day in a postmortem. The postmortem tests show that he had coronavirus, so he wasn't diagnosed before that. So there are complaints that they are um, that these rules are not properly applied, and and people are feeling they're not getting the necessary support they would want to have in the situation. There have also been a few reports of people saying that everything is fine and and these rules have been respected and they had no problems. Mm. What's the Romanian government in particular saying about all of this? So far, there hasn't been much from the Romanian government um, on the situation. They did say in the first few days that they are not able to stop people that want to go to work and that have a work contract from doing so, that it's people's uh, freedom of movement right. Also, the the Romanian prime minister um, said at the beginning of April that um, there are at least one million jobs that have been suspending during the, during the pandemic. So obviously, 
trying to give these people opportunities at home is harder now than it was before. Uh, but many of them are going even before because obviously they could earn a lot more in three months worth of work in Germany, for example, that they could earn probably double in the double of time in, you know, by staying back home in their in their villages or towns in Romania. Mm. Is the EU, does the EU have any role to play here, the Commission or others? Or is this really a, a bilateral matter between, you know, Germany and Romania or the countries that are, you know, that are taking these workers and using them? We asked the Commission about it. So they did release guidance also at the end of March saying that, um, you know, seasonal agriculture workers are critical and they should be allowed to travel also after the, the proper health checks. And this has happened. Um, and the Commission has also released guidance, so health guidance for how to organize work to make sure that, you know, you minimize the risk of infection as much as possible. But as always, when it comes to really enforcing these rules, this is up to, to the country where this is happening. So the Commission doesn't have power to really check that these guidelines are, are applied. And, and obviously, there are also recommendations. They're not mandatory. Do you have any idea of the numbers, you know, of how many have traveled so far or how many seasonal workers there are who do this kind of uh, work? in a normal year, like from Romania or other places? So there are hundreds of thousands. Um, this year, Germany said that it needed, um, no, only for April and May, Germany said that it needed um, 80,000, so 40,000 for each month. And I asked the Romanian authorities uh, for data of how many have traveled from Romania since charter flights started operating. So pretty much between the 9th of April and the 23rd of April, so in that, that space of two weeks, there have been 14,700 people who flew away, so almost 15,000 people. And um, the Romanian prime minister was saying that it might actually be up to 80 to 90,000 um, that Germany and other countries have asked for. Well, well, as you say, they are. They must be maybe the largest group of people who are actually travelling at this time. Um, so we obviously hope that they uh, remain in good health and I'm sure you'll continue to, to follow the story. Thanks, Carmen. Thank you, Andrew. Now, let's get to our featured guest, Commissioner Elisa Ferreira, who's responsible for cohesion and reforms at the European Commission. She spoke with our colleague, Lily Beyer. So, Commissioner, uh, perhaps to start with, for those of our listeners who are not that familiar with your job, what does it mean uh, to work on cohesion and reforms and what is your role in the current crisis? Well, probably you don't know what is cohesion and reforms, but everybody knows what cohesion funds are. There is no citizen almost in Europe that has not benefited from uh, support to uh, small and medium enterprises, from schools, roads, um, railways, water, water sewage, uh, water supply. All these funds are the cohesion policy. And this cohesion policy is uh, is very much connected with the origin of Europe and the single market. Cohesion, in fact, helps the weaker part to be able to play the game. And now it is it is becoming much more crucial than before, because uh, first of all, the crisis affected differently different member states and different regions. And the capacity of member states to stimulate by themselves the economy is very different because certain member states have strong finances and have been benefiting from this competition for ages. And now they can really bring forward all their firepower to support their economy, whereas others, they cannot uh, do it uh, unless they get into very, very heavy debt. And if they get into very heavy debt, they are in trouble 
probably not now, but in the short term, they will be. Uh, building on, on what you just said, in 2018, the Commission proposed that the EU spend 330 billion euros over seven years, specifically on cohesion policy. And some regions were a bit concerned at the time because that meant in real terms about a 10% cut to cohesion policy. Now the Commission is working on a new proposal. Do you think that the Commission should propose more money specifically toward cohesion to help those regions that are now behind um, or face these imbalances that you mentioned? Do we need more money? Yeah, we need more money, definitely, yes. We need more money because the loss was much bigger or will be much bigger once we calculate it than we had anticipated. So, of course, we need more money. This can be done through the MFF as as usual, or it can be uh, done through other means. Uh, But I would really support the idea that we should make use of the instruments that are already available on the ground, that countries and regions are familiar with, so that we have this speedy capacity to start combating the crisis and combating the loss of jobs. But it is important also that the efforts that the Commission is doing will be uh, will have an appropriate answer from the, those that finally decide. The Parliament was uh, very constructive. If you recall, it was really going much further than the, the proposal from the Commission. But uh, now it is it is really the moment for us to do something. Uh, I mean, something very very blunt, very strong, and and that can actually solve the issues that are at stake. And these issues are uh, absolutely crucial for the survival of the European Union as such. And when you talk about more money through the long-term budget, would you support some of that money coming from funds that the Commission would raise um, on financial markets, as discussed by Commission President von der Leyen recently? Of course, I think that is absolutely essential. I don't think this is only a matter of solidarity. I think it's a matter of being intelligent. So it's a matter of intelligence for the survival of our common project and of our growth that we really have this stimulus that answers extraordinary circumstances. So you cannot think business as usual. You have got to jump into an extraordinary approach to the issue. Uh, One thing that we've been hearing about from from colleagues and people around the Brussels bubble is um, that there's a certain worry about the future of the European Green Deal. Um, Are you concerned that cohesion money under the circumstances during this crisis could go toward projects that in normal times would have triggered environmental concerns? I hope not. I hope not. Uh, I will fight uh, as I can to keep it, even if we have uh, here and there to fine-tune a little bit what we classify as uh, as green or not, or, or to, to see it from a regional point of view, if there are some projects that could, could fly. But until now already, uh, cohesion and digital uh, were already representing uh, 65 uh, or more, 60-65% of the total support given by the, the cohesion policy for, for a very simple reason, because uh, 
we want to to support growth that is uh, uh, growth that is sustainable and forward looking we don't want to have uh, european money spent in a kind of economy that uh, that is self defeating and of course now we are facing a health crisis but i hope we won't have a climate crisis or an environmental crisis as next crisis because there are always crises brewing in the back of our portfolios and of course we have got the climate the climate agenda has got to be there but not only climate the green agenda the environmental agenda because everything is related and the process of desertification contamination of water is sometimes as serious as the the pure climate one but there is no 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 antagonism between two things growth without these concerns is self defeating do you foresee any changes to the just transition fund proposal well i i don't see the reason for that in fact uh, first of all the just transition fund and just transition mechanism are depending on the mff so we we are waiting for it but uh, of course uh, certain regions even if if they are now being helped and i was speaking with some regions in silesia and uh, before when when we could move around <laughs> i was visiting and and uh, in fact this um, slowdown of the carbon related industries Uh, was already going on since the 90s in certain uh, cases or even earlier than that uh, so it's it's a process that is going on if now we want to speed it up for those regions that's that that are depending completely on this kind of 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 industry we have got to help them to do the transition even more now than before and 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 safeguard jobs and foster diversification and create new jobs opportunities there and that's all the time we have on this episode of EU confidential we'll be back on thursday with the regular podcast panel but until then we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to rate us by clicking some stars or leaving a review and you can always email us at podcast@politico.eu I'm Andrew Gray in Brussels. Thanks to producer Cristina Gonzalez and thanks to you for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 